yeah, I'll use it again. Thanks. All right. So, um, quick review before we dive into this last talk. Um, what did we talk about the first night? What was that, 36 hours ago? Yeah, take the field. Take the field, get out of the stands. God invites the exiles not to be in the stands, not to just observe, not to be passive, but to be active and get in the game. And you've got to make some commitment decisions before you do that. And then yesterday morning, we started to get specific. And um, if you're going to take the field, there are things that you want to do in order to make an impact on your campus, work for the good of your campus. And so we highlighted two things. What are the two things you want to do? Oh, man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, establish yourself in. Fit in. That's right. Fit in. And then I kind of gave you guys a strategy. And then last night, we talked about the importance of taking God's instruction seriously. You just do that in your own life. And as you do that, you're living out your faith. And something that's important about um, all this stuff that I'm, I'm talking about is something that I figured out in college is um, we have this way of thinking that, okay, you know, you're in high school and you do, you follow God one way in high school and then you get to college and it's like revolutionizes and there's a whole new way of following God in college and then you get done with college and it just completely changes and it morphs and there's a completely different way of following God and it looks different and you do different things and then if you go overseas, it's completely different overseas and so we kind of think like, you know, oh, well, you know, yeah, this is unique to this season, but it's going to be different in the next chapter. And something that I realized when I was in college and really served me well after college and has continued to serve me well is just kind of the understanding of these basic principles apply across the board. So it's like, you know, what you guys are learning to do now, and, you know, you're learning to do your quiet times, you're learning to do evangelism, you're learning to invest in people, you're learning to give your life for a greater mission than just your agenda or your dreams for yourself. As you learn to do those things they're going to translate into the next chapter. The issue is, is it who you really are? So, like, are you just kind of going through the motions? Are you faking it? Are you just doing it because you're a part of a really good Christian group and everybody else in the Christian group's doing it? Or are you doing it because you've wrestled with those issues of commitment and deep inside your heart you've resolved that this is who I am and this is what I'm going to live for? And if you do that, what you'll find is, whether it's USC or SDSU or whether you stay in L.A. or God has you moved to get some gnarly job in finance in London, or you go do research on some crazy tropical island and you're trying to figure out some species of bird and how we can you know, make medical advancements based on this species of bird, whatever it is, it's really the same stuff. You know, you're taking God seriously, you're following him, you're getting established, you're fitting in, you've got a plan to connect with people relationally. It's really the same stuff and it translates. It really comes down to, is this who I am? Am I going to take him seriously? One of my things that I really like to do is I'm convinced that God's call on my life is, um, is the local church. And his assignment for me for the foreseeable future is Seabreeze. So I'm, I'm very happy with that. I'm very content with that. And that's where I'm at. But I love studying mission strategy. I love reading books about missionaries. Even just this last week, I was going through a book by, about William Carey, who's kind of the father of modern missions. And I love going through that stuff. And one of the cool things as you study that stuff is you just realize, like, there's, it's not that big of a difference. You know? I mean, I've got friends that are in all over internationally. They're essentially doing the exact same thing that I'm doing. And I'm doing the same thing that your leaders are doing that they're training you guys to do. So this stuff really translates to all areas of life as we've been walking through it. So today we're going to turn to our last thing. 
Last principle I want to draw out of Jeremiah 29. There's a lot more that we could have pulled out, but these are some of the key things. And uh, this was our theme verse, Jeremiah 29, 7. It says this, it says, work for the good of the cities where I've made you go as prisoners. So God wants you to work for the good of the campus, the place where you are. You might feel like a prisoner. Does anybody feel like a prisoner at your campus? No? Okay, that's, okay, one. Yeah, okay. Good, okay, yeah. I kind of felt like a prisoner sometimes. I, my junior year, I was like, I'm just going to get out of here as fast as possible. That's actually why I chose journalism major, uh, because I was like, inspired to be a journalist, but it allowed me to graduate in four years. So sometimes that's okay, guys. Sometimes it's just like, how do I get out of here as fast as possible? So I did that. Um, then he says this. After he says, work for the good of the campuses, after they work for the good of the cities, he says, pray to me on their behalf, because if they're prosperous, you'll be prosperous. You're Experience is connected to their experience, but pray to me on their behalf. So what I want to talk about this morning in our last talk is I want to talk about prayer. And as I talk about prayer, I'm not just going to limit it to praying for the good of the campus. I'm going to kind of take a bigger view of prayer, kind of talk about some things you can do to develop a pattern of prayer. Because if you're going to pray for the good of the campus, it really needs to be you're, you're just a person that you regularly spend time talking to God, communing with God through prayer. And there's a verse that helps me stay on track and do this. It's a verse that you might be familiar with. It's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It's in the New Testament. And this is what it says. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And these are, these are two verses from chapter 4, and we're going to unpack them. But if, if you want to... Um, Philippians chapter 4 is a really fascinating study. In this two verses, there's a movement from anxiety. It says, don't be anxious about anything. So there's a movement from anxiety, this worry, this concern, this fretting, which anxiety is usually the result of relying on our own power and believing that it's up to us. And I'll just warn you, if you try to take the field of play and you try to go and make an impact for God and your power source is not God, your power source is you, you will, you will burn out and you will fail miserably. So prayer is one of those things that helps you anchor yourself and rely on God. So you've got to learn how to draw your power from God as you do this. But there's this movement from anxiety to peace. And in these verses, it's not just any peace, it's the peace of God. So it's a state of being calm and relaxed because you know that God is involved and you're relying on him. And in these two verses, this movement from anxiety to peace is not random, and it's not accidental. It doesn't just happen. It's because of specific actions and thought patterns that we go through that create this movement. And if you study Philippians 4, which I would encourage you to do, it starts early in the chapter, and it talks about rejoicing. And it's saying, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. So it's saying, hey, rejoice. Like, if you want to live a life of joy... And then it kind of gives us a pattern. And then it goes into, um, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near in verse 5. And then it gets into these two verses. And then in verse 8, it lists all these things. It's like whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is... And it lists all these things. I think it lists eight things in, chapter, in verse 8. might not be the exact, but it's somewhat, something like that. It lists eight things. It says, think about these things. So Philippians 4 is really kind of a prescription or a manual to kind of, kind of get control of your mind, get back on track with experiencing the joy of God and not letting worry and anxiety and pressure and all these other things impact you, but really getting your mind right. So it's been a super helpful passage for me of Philippians 4. 
So that's just a note of, I think you guys would benefit from doing some personal study there. But we're going to focus on three words from uh, verses 6 and 7. Three words are prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. And it's common to find these three words in close proximity to each other whenever the Bible talks about prayer. And so we're going to just work through each one of these um, words, explain them one at a time, what does the word mean, and then each one of these words points to a reality about God. So what is the word, what is the practice, and then why do we do that? What's the reality about God behind that? So the first word is the word prayer, and prayer, the word that's used here, it's a general word, and it's a word that describes just kind of the general category of talking to God. So whenever we talk to God, you could use the word, we're praying. So sometimes our prayers are, th- are formal. So like when I've prayed at the end of my talks or when the worship team's prayed, those are more formal prayers. Sometimes prayers are more eloquent. They're, more, they're poetic in nature, and they're, the words are thought through, and they flow, and there's a sequence to them. Sometimes prayers are simple. Sometimes prayers are rushed. Sometimes they're desperate prayers. Sometimes they're impromptu prayers. Sometimes the prayers are spoken out loud. Sometimes the prayers are thought prayers where it's just you in your mind just going straight to God and saying, God, would you help in this situation? Or God, please intervene in this moment. So there's thought prayers, there's spoken prayers, there's all different kinds of prayers. But the general category is when you're talking to God, the general category is prayer. And it's interesting to pay attention to the attitude our culture has about this word prayer, this idea of talking to God. This last fall... It was a Monday night. I had gotten home um, from work. We ate dinner as a family, and then I went in the living room, and I turned on uh, Monday night football. And it was the game between the Bengals and the Bills where DeMar Hamlin went into cardiac arrest on the field as part of the game. You guys might remember that. And I turned it on right after that um, play had taken place. So I didn't actually see the play. I just turned it on. I knew the game wasn't, wasn't happening. They were talking about it. And it was like I paid more attention to that than I usually do to Monday Night Football. To me, usually it's just kind of like something in the background. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, it's fun to have it on, but I'm not really paying attention. But this was like, as soon as I turned the game on, I'm just like fully engaged. And I'm flipping back and forth. And ESPN, I think, had two different broadcasts. You had like the main broadcast. And then you had um, that one with Eli and Peyton going on where they're like doing like commentary and comedy and stuff. So I'm flipping back and forth just trying to figure out what in the world is going on and You see the players on the field, both teams circle up. They gather for prayer. You can tell that they're praying on the field. But what was really fascinating was to listen to the people on ESPN talk about the situation. There was one guy that I remember, he said we need to pray for DeMar and his family. But the majority of people, they left out the word prayer, and they said our thoughts go out to DeMar and his family. They didn't reference prayer. They just said our thoughts go out to DeMar and his family. And that's not unique. Like, if you pay attention, if you pay attention when there's a tragedy or a natural disaster or something really bad takes place in society, increasingly, prayer, the word prayer, is being replaced by our thoughts are with the family. Or people will say, sending positive thoughts your way. Or my favorite and the most confusing one is sending good vibes your way. (laughs) And I've always wondered, like, how do you receive a good vibe, you know? Like, is it like a weird shimmy? Like, you know, it's like they're like, they send out the vibe and you get it. Like, I've always wondered about that. Like, what does that mean? Like, I don't even know what a vibe is, honestly, guys. Like, I really don't even know what that is. Yeah, I know, I know. I know how to use it, 
I know how to use it. I've used it properly, but I'm still confused on what it is. I cannot define it. Um, but if you pay attention, this isn't unique. And I, the belief behind this is the belief is that we are all alone, that nobody's listening, that if God is there, he either can't respond or he won't respond. Kind of the idea is like he's just kind of off doing his own thing. He might exist, but he's off doing his own thing. He really doesn't care. He's really not interested in what's happening in our lives and the place around us and the people around us. He's just kind of off doing his own thing. Or, or he's limited. It's kind of like he set everything in motion, and then once it got going, he lost control of it, and he can't intervene, and he can't do anything. So in the face of tragedy or something beyond our control, for many people, for most of society, even sometimes as Christians, we fall into this trap. The best we can muster is positive thoughts. I'm just going to think positively. I'm going to think good thoughts. I'm going to send good vibes your way. Here's the reality. This is why we pray. The reality is God is near and has the power to act. That's the reality. God is near and has the power to act. The reason we pray is because God is near and he has the power to act. In this letter to the exiles, Jeremiah 29, verse 4, it starts out. And it's really interesting. This is the intro to the letter when they receive it. It says, the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. So he speaks to them. They're in their darkest moment. The worst thing they could imagine happening has happened to them. And in the middle of that, who shows up and speaks to them? God has a message to him. The idea is he's not aloof. He's not, he's not absent. He's not off doing his own thing. He's fully aware of what's going on. And in the moment of their darkness, he speaks to them. And there's another part of this verse I want to highlight. It's the phrase, the Lord Almighty. Really fascinating. It's two Hebrew words. And it's a um, Hebrew idea that English has a really hard time capturing. And especially our modern mind has an, a really hard time getting our head around this idea. So in this translation, it says the Lord Almighty. Other English translations, as the, they, they wrestle with the implication of these words. They translate it this way. It's the Lord of armies, the God of angel armies, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies. The idea is, is that God has at his disposal a force, a power, that is far beyond anything we can imagine. It's not a physical army. I mean, America is the most powerful country in the world. We have the largest military in the world. But even with how powerful our military is, it's really just a man-made military. It's a, it's a military made up of humans and human-made devices and tools and machines and weapons. It's human power. I mean, yeah, it's impressive power. It gets a lot done, but it's human power. What this is saying, it says the Lord Almighty, or in other translations, the Lord of angel armies, the Lord of heaven's armies, it's saying that God has a level of power in the spiritual realm, if we could see it, that's far superior to anything. You can't even compare it to anything that we could find on this earth. So not only in their moment of darkness does God say to them what he wants them to do, but Jeremiah also starts and reminds them that the Lord is the Lord of heaven's armies. God has a power far beyond anything you could imagine or anything you could compare to. And that's why we pray. We pray, we go to God, we talk to God because God is near and he has the power to act. So for me, a few applications of this is I think about, okay, how do I, how do I live in light of this? How do I pray more in my life? So two things that I've been trying to work on. One is in the area of thought prayers. And what I mean by thought prayers 
is it's in the moment, I'll be in a conversation with somebody, you know, maybe somebody will ask me a question and I don't know the answer to it or I don't fully understand it. So I'll just really quickly, hey, God, would you help me understand what they're saying? God, would you give me wisdom in this situation? It's, just, it's in my mind. I don't say it out loud. It's just in my mind, just real quick. Hey, God, would you help me here? Or maybe I'll be um, sharing my faith with somebody. Maybe I'll be um, telling them about who Jesus is. And I know, I know, you know, Satan, the adversary, he wants to come in. Jesus tells the parable of the seeds on the ground, and Satan wants to come in like a bird and snatch the seeds and take it away. I know that that's what he wants to do. I know that there's all kinds of obstacles and false ideas in their mind that I'm up against. So a lot of times in those, I'll just, you know, simple thought prayers of like, like, God, would you block Satan's activity in this moment? God, would you allow them to see the truth of the gospel in this moment? Just really quick, in the moment, thought prayers. Because God is present, and God has the power to act. So that means that in that moment, I need to include God in that moment. So for you, maybe, it's, maybe you're taking a test. Yeah, you've put 10, 20, 30 hours into studying for this test. And yeah, you need to pray before you go into the test. But why not pray through the whole test? You know, God is there. Yeah, you've studied it. You've got it somewhere in your brain. Ask him to help you recall it. So for me, thought prayers are a way that I'm trying to practice. Another thing that I'm trying to do is um, creating time for extended prayer. Time where extended prayer, I would define that as it's 30 minutes or more of uninterrupted, undistracted time where it's just you talking to God. So for me, currently where I'm at in my life, what this looks like is um, this looks like going on walks alone. So in the, in the house, it's hard to do in the house. Even once we put the kids to bed, you know, probably about every 10 minutes, a different kid comes out of their room and is like, I need to go potty. I need a drink. And so, you know, it's, the whole evening is kind of like that. So it's hard to do it then. So what I'll do is I'll, you know, kind of get the kids settled, make sure everything's good in the house. And then I'll just say, hey, I'm just going to go for a walk around the block. And I'll tell my wife, I'll say, hey, Allie, I'm going to go for a walk around the block. I'm just going to spend a little bit of time praying. And I'll just go and I'll walk. And it's me alone. And I'll, a lot of times I'll have some scripture that I'll pray. One of my favorites is um, the 23rd Psalm that talks about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so I'll just think my way through that, that set of six verses. And as I do that, I'll just pray those things. And so I'll start with praise. Like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I actually don't need anything in this world because God is my leader. He's the one who's guiding me. So like all these wants and worries that I have, I don't need to have these because I've got God. So I'll just start with praise, and I'll start and just kind of work my way through that. Other times, um, I memorized uh, Matthew 5, 3 through 12, the Beatitudes. It starts out and says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And it goes through um, the Beatitudes. So sometimes I'll just take the Beatitudes, and I'll turn that into prayer for people that I know. And so I'll just kind of think through those verses and pray for people. But as I, as I spend extended time in prayer, it's helping me practice this reality that God is near, and he has, the, he has the power to act in my life and in the life of others. So I need to regularly be going before him and praying to him. So that's the first word, prayer. Pray because God is near, and he has the power to act. second word is the word petition. A petition is a specific request. So when you do a, position, a petition, you're asking God for something specific. You're asking for change in a specific way. In our society, when, you, when we use the word petition, we think of maybe petitioning a court or um, a petition in government because we want to see change. Or on your college campus, maybe you want, maybe you want a new restaurant in the cafeteria. You know, so you get a bunch of students to sign a petition and then you turn it in and see, see, we've got a thousand students to sign this petition and... You know, we don't want Raising Cane's anymore. We want In-N-Out in the cafeteria. I don't know what it is, but I touched on a nerve. I'm sorry. 
But that's what a petition is. You want, you want change. That's what a petition is. You're requesting change to take place. So what this is saying is part of prayer is asking for change to take place. This creates a little bit of an intellectual challenge for us because we know that God is sovereign. We know that God is in control. We know that God has a plan, and what he plans to happen is what will happen. So then it kind of begs the question, well, how is it possible that my prayers impact what God chooses to do? And that's one of the things that the Bible actually says. It says, you have not because you ask not. The idea is, is there are things that you're not experiencing in your life or things that are happening around you that aren't changing because you're not praying to God. So it's, the Bible clearly teaches that prayer changes things. The Bible tells us to petition God. And so it kind of creates this, okay, well, how in the world, if God is sovereign, do my prayers have any impact on what's going to happen? And the answer to this is because of a personal relationship. We get confused over this because we, we fail to understand the nature of the relationship that we have with God. Again, Jeremiah 29, verse 4, the intro to the letter. It says, the Lord Almighty points to his power, and he says, the God of Israel. The God of Israel is reminding the people that they were in a relationship with God. And for you and me, because of what Jesus has done, we have a real relationship with God. So here's the reality behind the petition. The petition, asking for change, the reality is God desires a personal relationship with me. With me, with you. Actually, write me on your paper. He wants a personal relationship with you. He loves you. He invites you into a personal relationship with him. And in a personal relationship, both parties have influence over each other. Both parties engage in give and take. And because God desires this kind of relationship with you, he opens himself up to our influence. And it doesn't compromise his sovereignty. And he allows this to happen because if there isn't two-way influence, then it's not a personal relationship. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of people I could point to and say they've influenced me. There's authors Authors, I've read their books. I mean, I referenced William Carey at the beginning of this. You know, William Carey and the author who wrote that book, they've influenced me. There's, there's ideas from other books that have influenced me. There's bands and artists who their music and their works have shaped my attitude and my thinking about different things. There's celebrities and athletes who have influenced what I think is cool or what I think should live for. So there's a lot of people that have influenced me. But I can't say that I have a real personal relationship with any of those people because it's not two-way influence. It's just one-way influence. There's no conversation. There's no dialogue. There's no give and take. So it's not a personal relationship. But God wants a personal relationship with us. So it's not just a one-way influence. It's not just him influencing us. He opens himself up to a relationship and gives us the privilege of influencing what he's going to do and what's going to happen. And actually, when it comes to this relationship, he pursues the relationship with us. And he initiates the relationship with us. He really wants this kind of relationship. And one of the characteristics of a personal relationship is you make specific requests. In a personal relationship, it's not awkward to make a specific request. It's not inappropriate to make a specific request to ask for change to happen in a personal relationship. Let's just imagine for a minute... Let's imagine my dad is the owner of the Lakers, okay? He's not. Let's just imagine my dad owns the Lakers. And let's imagine that I have you over to my house. You know, Allie and I, we host you in our home, and we're going to watch the Lakers play a game. I'm like, hey, come over to our house. We're going to watch a Laker game. So you're in our house. We're watching the game. You know, it's on the TV. We got some food. You know, we're having a good time. Then about midway through the game, 
I just inform you that, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, my dad owns the team. You're like, wait, what? Like, what team, you know? Oh, the Lakers. Like, my, my dad owns the Lakers, you know. He replaced Genie Bus, and now he's the owner of the Lakers. And um, I just kind of dropped that casually. Well, what are you going to say? You're going to say, hey, Elliot. Yeah, bro, bro, Elliot. Hey, uh, next time, instead of inviting me to your house, like, courtside seats, you know? Like, let's get a suite, you know? Like, free food. Come on. Like, I mean, I don't know if you've ever done the suite with the open, open buffet. Like, it's awesome, you know? So, come on. Like, let's do that. Like, hook it up. And so you say that. You're like, hey, like, I appreciate the invite, but next time, like, Staples Center. Come on. And then I'm like, well, you know, um, I like my dad. My dad and I talk a lot, but, you know, it's just, I don't think it would be appropriate. I, my dad and I don't talk basketball. We don't talk about the team. So I actually think it would be awkward if I were to ask my dad for tickets. I, I just don't think it would be, an, I think it would be inappropriate. So I'm not going to ask my dad. You would be like, your dad does not own the Lakers, does he? <laughs> if your dad owned the Lakers, you would be getting tickets left and right because that's who your dad is. And it's not awkward or inappropriate to go to your dad who owns the Lakers and say, hey, can my buddy and I get courtside seats? Or can my buddy and I have a suite? The family would own multiple suites for crying out loud. That's not inappropriate or awkward. But sometimes we think when it comes to God, to go to God with these specific requests and to ask God for things to change in our life or the lives of the people around us or our campus or our city or the world, we suddenly think that, oh, you know, that's kind of off limits. Yeah, I can praise him. I can thank him. I can pray for his glory. But, you know, asking him that I have a really focused study time for the next hour and that I get an A on this test, yeah, that's inappropriate. I can't ask that. Well, no. God has a personal relationship with you. He wants that kind of relationship with you. He's inviting you to go before him with your petitions and to ask for specific things. It's not awkward. It's not inappropriate because of the type of relationship that you have with him, because of the type of relationship that he wants with you. So again, the reality is, is the reason we do this is because God wants a personal relationship with us. So for me, a challenge for me is, am I actually asking for change? Like when I pray, am I actually asking for stuff to change? Am I making specific requests? For me, in my life, am I asking for stuff in my life to change? Am I asking for stuff in my family? Am I asking for change there? Like on your campus, what do you want to see changed on your campus? What do you think God wants to see changed on your campus? Are you spending time praying about those things? Taking your petitions before him? And one of the things that I've tried to keep track of is um, the people that I'm praying will come to know Jesus. I mean, we're talking about working for the good of the city or working for the good of the campus. So like when I pray, I've got a list of people that I'm praying for. And a lot of them are my neighbors. They're the people that live immediately around me or some of the people that I meet. And when I pray for those things, when I pray for those people, again, I try to pray scripture. So um, I think it's in John 16. It talks about when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll convict the world of sin. He'll um, reveal the righteousness. He'll point to who Jesus Christ is. And so I'll try to take those ideas and I'll pray those for people. I'll say, hey, God, if these people are going to come to know you, if this specific person by name is going to come to know you, Holy Spirit's going to have to intervene and convict this person of sin. God, would you do that? You know, one of the ideas there of, like, convicting of sin is um, when you realize that you're living in sin, you start to feel horrible. I think it was Huey, right? Yeah, your testimony, right? Yeah, your testimony. You talked about just how terrible you were feeling when you started to realize what you were doing. That was perfect. I actually pray that people feel terrible. 
If they're going to come to Christ, they've got to start to feel terrible about their sin. So I'll start to pray specific things, ask for specific change to take place. It's not awkward. It's not inappropriate. God tells you to come before him and present your petitions because he wants a personal relationship with you. Third word is the word thanksgiving. So we pray, general talking to God, petition, specific requests, thanksgiving. Now, first, this word is an interesting word to be included in the list because nothing has happened yet. Nothing's happened yet. I mean, you're praying. It says prayer petition with thanksgiving. So as you're praying, as you're petitioning God, you're thanking God. And it's like, well, why am I thanking God? Nothing's happened yet. Well, the reason you're thanking God is because it communicates your belief that God is good. So in Jeremiah 29, he starts the letter. He points to God's power. He reminds people that God wants a relationship with him, the God of Israel. He says, God says, the Lord says. So he's saying, hey, God is present. He's interacting in this moment. Later on, there's a verse that we're not going to have time to fully unpack. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I alone, God is speaking, says, I alone know the plans I have for you. Plans to bring you prosperity and not disaster. Plans to bring about the future you hope for. So what he's reminding the exiles, he's saying, hey, even in the midst of the worst thing you could imagine happening, Babylon is trying to steal your identity. They're trying to get you to suck into their society and just become like everybody else and lose your identity as a follower of God. The false prophets are telling you to huddle together and have nothing to do with the society. I'm telling you to get out of the stands, get on the field of play, and make an impact. And just so you know, I know the plans I have for you. And they're actually plans for your good. Prosperity not disaster, plans to bring you a future, a future that you hope for. I mean, the best thing you could imagine, that's the future that I've got in store for you. He's reminding them that God is good. You know, so sometimes when it comes to prayer, we kind of get this idea, and you hear people say this, and I, I'm not saying that this phrase that we say is wrong, and I'm not saying don't say it, but this phrase can create some false ideas about prayer and who God is. And the phrase is, or the statement is, Prayer works. And you hear people say this. I've said this. I've heard people say this, and I've agreed. Yeah, it does work. And, you know, we'll use this statement, prayer works. We'll use it, you know, like let's say you want to pass a class, and so you're praying, God, I'm studying hard. Would you help me to get an A on this class? And then you get an A on the test. Well, what do you say? Oh, man, prayer works. Or maybe you want to get into a specific major, and you've been working really hard, and, you know, you're meeting all the kind of the prerequisites to get into the the college that you want to get into, and you finally get into it, and it's like, okay, I've been praying for this, and I finally get it, and it's like, ah, prayer works. And over time, when we say prayer works and we just point to the answered prayers, over time what happens is we start to get this idea that God is kind of like our cosmic butler. So what we do is we kind of get out, you know, we get out the bell of prayer. Let's imagine my keys are a bell, and we're like, God, would you do this? Ding, 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 ding. And then he just comes running, and he answers our prayer and does what we want him to do. And it's like, hey, God, would you do this? And we ding, 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 ding. And then he comes running, and he answers our prayer, and he does what we want him to do. And so, and then, you know, we thank him. So we think, okay, prayer works. So when I get the answer to my prayer, well, that's when I thank God. But the problem is, is what about when times when prayer doesn't work? You know, what about when you don't get what you ask for? What about in situations where you've been making a specific request for years, and nothing's happening? Or maybe, you know, maybe it's a situation where you've got a broken relationship with a family member or a roommate, and you're asking God, God, would you heal this relationship? And you've been going to him over and over and over again, and things just keep getting worse. 
Or maybe you've been working really hard trying to advance down a path, and it's a path that you think he has for you, and you're really putting in a lot of effort, and you're trusting him, but you just encounter closed door after closed door after closed door. Well, suddenly does prayer not work? You know, or what about if it's somebody that you really love who you want them to enter into a relationship with Jesus and you're praying, God, would you, would you save this person? Would you let their, your light shine in their heart so they can see the glory of God displayed in the image of Christ? Would you allow that to happen? And you're praying for that. And they just keep step after step walking further and further in the opposite direction. Well, does prayer suddenly not work? Because you got out your bell and you rang, you know, God, come answer my prayer, but he's not coming and he's not answering your prayer. And see, the, the important thing to know is that God is not your cosmic butler. So just because you pray for it to happen does not mean it's going to happen. He invites you to pray. He tells you to pray. He says that your prayers will influence what does happen, but he doesn't say that just because you prayed it, it's automatically going to happen. There will be times that you pray, and he does answer it. It does happen. There will be times you pray, and the opposite of what you prayed for happens. There will be times that you pray, and it's just radio silence. You're just left asking, is there even anybody on the other side of the line? And this is hard. And it's in those moments where I think this Thanksgiving becomes so important because what you're saying is you're saying, hey, God, I'm coming before you. I'm talking to you. I've got this specific request. I want to see change happen in this area. I'm presenting this request to you. And God, I don't know what's going to happen. You haven't come through. You haven't responded yet. I'm in the moment of presenting this to you. But God, I trust that you're good. And so I'm actually thanking you and I'm communicating to you the belief that you're good. See, the reality behind why we give thanksgiving to God in our prayer is because God is good and I can trust him. God's good and you can trust him. So as you step out of the stands onto the field of play, as you establish yourself, you work to fit in, you take instruction from the Bible seriously, and you go before him in prayer, even if it gets harder and darker and more confusing you can still be thankful because you know that he is good and that you can trust him. So even in that moment of he's not answering my prayer and it doesn't seem like prayer works, he's not responding, I can still be grateful to God because I know that God is good and I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to communicate that to him through my prayers to him. I'm not just going to, you know, if, if I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to, God, I've been praying for this for five years and nothing's happened, so I guess you don't exist. I'm just going to walk out and not pray anymore. No, Thanksgiving helps remind you and anchor you to the truth of how good and faithful God actually is. And you're communicating that belief to him as you pray. So Thanksgiving is part of our prayers because God is good and we can trust him. And we petition him. We take our specific requests before him because he wants a personal relationship with us. He allows you and me to influence what happens in this world on a large scale. That's amazing when you think about it. And we pray to him because he's near He's present. He has the power to act always, constantly, in every moment. It's not just random. It's not just he kind of comes and then he goes away. He's always there. He's always present. He always has the power to act. So we pray, we petition, and in the process, we just keep communicating, God, I trust that you're good. I know you're going to work good. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I thank you for the fact that you are good and that I can trust you. So we pray. So again, as you... As you decide, and you have to make this decision, nobody can do it for you, as you decide, you know what? I'm not going to stay on the sideline. I'm not going to stay in the stands anymore. I'm going to get out of the stands. My coach, God, my father, is calling me onto the field of play, and he's giving me important, significant work to do. 
So I'm going to commit to that work. I'm going to count the cost. I'm not going to put him off. I'm going to, what was the third commitment? You guys remember? I just forgot what it was. Yeah, I'm not going to bring my conditions. That's right. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to get on the field to play. I'm going to establish myself where I live. I'm going to fit in. I'm going to work a plan so that I get to know the people around me so that I can get close to people and start to make an impact. I'm going to take his instructions seriously. I'm going to, my faith is going to be real to me, and I'm going to pray. And as I pray, it's going to help anchor me to his power, and I'm going to experience his power in my life, and that's going to help me stay on the field of play. I'm going to pray, I'm going to petition, and I'm going to give him thanksgiving. That's the message that he gave to the exiles. Same thing that applies to us today. So let's wrap up and pray together. Father God, I thank you for this weekend. I thank you for these students. I thank you for the challenge ministries. I thank you for all the people that have gone before us. I thank you for the current leaders of these ministries. I thank you for the former leaders of these ministries. God, and I thank you for the fact that us getting to do something like this is really, we're standing on a foundation that somebody else laid before us, and that was in your plan, and that's your kindness and your goodness. So God, I pray that in this moment where we live, you know, we're just another generation, another group of people who you call out of the stands onto the field of play. There were people before us, there will be people after us. What we do in this moment matters. So God, I pray that as we take these instructions and we go back to our campuses or back to our cities or back to the places where we live, God, I pray that we would actually do this stuff, that we would, in our heart, we would make a commitment to you that I'm willing, I'm willing to pay the price, I'm willing to get on the field, I'm willing to contribute. And then God, I pray that in love, we would turn to the people around us and we would invest our lives. And in the process of us bringing glory to you, I pray that you would allow us to experience that that is, that is the far greatest joy we could ever get out of this life. That is real life lived when we bring you glory. So God, I pray that that's what we experience. I pray we take these things in very practical ways, put them into practice. In Jesus' name, amen.